0: But in a lot of ways, you know, I look at equity markets as kind of the perfect proxy for you know, where we should be focused. And if you look at the products that ultimately have captured the most value and saved you know, investors the most money and you know, been the best vehicles for people to get exposure to equity markets, it's those products that give you broad-based exposure. And so I think that we want to stay pretty committed to that. Hey,
1: everybody. Tanner here with Wagyu Ventures. On today's episode, we have Austin Diamond, co-founder and CEO of Alongside. For anyone who's new, this is the Wagney Ventures podcast, where we do snapshots with interesting founders from across Web3. Check out wagneyventures.io to learn more about the syndicate behind the podcast. But for now, let's get into it with Austin from Alongside. All right, hey everybody. I'm here today with Austin Diamond, co-founder and CEO at Alongside. Austin, how are you doing today? Doing
0: great. How about yourself, Tanner?
1: Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm really excited to chat here. So, uh, why don't we just jump right in? If you could just tell us maybe a little bit about yourself and your story, what's brought you to building Alongside?
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, so you know, truthfully, this is about uh, 12, 13 years in the making. Um, I was a, a you know super weird kid wanted to work in finance as a teenager. Uh, I was coaching a soccer team. One of the dads was at Deutsche Bank. I kind of, you know, weaseled my way into uh, a role, basically fetching coffee for him. Um, And, you know, it was interesting. They managed a portfolio of, you know, equity index funds. So their whole strategy was we buy markets, not companies. Um, And so it was there that I discovered this open secret. Most active fund managers do not outperform a simple benchmark. So, you know, Feels like this crazy secret in finance where you know a you know janitor or a teacher that just dollar cost average into something that tracks the S and P five hundred outperforms you know the overall majority of hedge funders that you know you might tune into on CNBC every day. Um, so you know viewed index products as this unbelievable equalizer for you know regular investors. Um, you know decided pretty early on I didn't want to work in finance in that capacity. I ended up you know moving out to San Francisco. I spent about six years working in, in tech and a couple more in venture. And, you know, I think, you know, as an observer of crypto as a category for the last six, seven years, you know, it felt like all the same dynamics around, you know, maybe my inability to stock pick play out, you know, almost exactly the same with my ability to pick winning tokens. Um, And ultimately, was just a believer that, you know, the entire category, um, you know, was going to be much larger, you know, a decade from now, and ultimately just wanted directional exposure to that. So in a lot of ways, you know, built the product uh, for myself, but a long time in the making. Super interesting.
1: Okay. So how do you describe what Alongside is building kind of in its totality here?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I describe this as an on-chain Vanguard. Um, and I use Vanguard for a number of specific reasons, which we could get into. But um, you know, really the goal is just to build low-fee, you know, low-cost products that just enable you know, total market thematic exposure to the entire category.
1: Got it. Let's jump into Vanguard here because I'm, I'm actually really curious in general. Just if you could maybe just provide us a, a little bit of a history around index funds and for those who aren't super familiar, like why they exist, what they enable, why they became popular. And, and I think you can probably talk about Vanguard in that telling.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, really interesting history. So I believe it was about 1960. Uh, there were two professors, Ed Renshaw and Paul Feldstein, that wrote a paper called uh, The Case for an Unmanaged Investment Company it basically lays out the entire thesis that, you know, something that just tracks a market benchmark will outperform most portfolio managers. And it was super divisive at the time. Uh, Funnily enough, Jack Bogle, who in a lot of ways I describe as like he's the OG Anon, actually penned a paper, um, you know, that was a rebuttal to it under a pen name, John B. Armstrong. And, you know, basically came out guns blazing saying that, you know, indexing is a terrible strategy. And, you know, why would anyone do that for a multitude of reasons? You know, fast forward to today, he's credited with, you know, sort of founding the concept of of index funds. He actually wasn't the first to do it. Um, A firm called Battery March was a few years before him. Um, But, you know, it was actually done in a lot of ways that I consider Vanguard to be, you know, one of the first uh, companies to progressively decentralize. And, you know, when you look at their history, one of the things that's really interesting, you know, they spun out of Wellington Management, which is still around today. And, you know, over time, holders of Vanguard funds became, you know, the owners of Vanguard itself. And that created this, you know, crazy incentive mechanism where, you know, holders of those funds do not have an incentive to raise fees on themselves. And so subsequently, you know, devoid of the kind of, you know, pressure from shareholders to continually do that, they were able to offer, you know, just the lowest fee products over the course of the last, you know, several decades. And you know, took a very different approach than the Black Rocks of the world, which you know actually do manage more money um, in terms of assets that are management than Vanguard. In that, you know, BlackRock decided, you know, we're gonna go out and build these big sales and distribution teams, you know, we're gonna make sure that this is in every pension and, and 401k. And you know, Vanguard took the approach of we're gonna be committed to low costs and we're not gonna build out a massive sales team to get distribution on these. Eventually, you know, people will recognize that this is the superior product and they will come. And, you know, I think in a world where, you know, in DeFi, you know, nothing is as opaque as it was, you know, back then, everything is, you know, totally open and transparent. To me, the winning product is the one that is just ultimately, you know, the best for end holders. And so, you know, in this case, I think, you know, that's the product that can offer the lowest fees. And, you know, I view ourselves as like, you know, another coming of that, you know, if we're lucky. So just, you know, lots of history to be able to draw from we're super lucky to get to stay on the shoulders of like 50 years of, uh, you know, Jack Bogle and plenty of others work messaging to the public that, you know, indexing is the way. Um, And I think, you know, there are just a lot of parallels with how, you know, we we look at crypto asset markets. I think historically speaking, everything has been about trading and you go into crypto Twitter and, you know, there are 8,000 different decentralized options protocols to play around with. Uh, I tend to think that for most people, they're just better off, you know, buying the market. Uh, And so, you know, in a lot of ways, get to stand on the shoulders of uh, everyone else that's really you know drove it, driven that home over the course of the last few decades.
1: Okay, so if we take a step back, what were some of the earliest challenges creating this first on-chain, broad-based crypto market index, and how did you and your team think about solving for those challenges?
0: Yeah, great question. So you know, many of them are, are technical. There are, there are a few you know products that that are comparable that we're big fans of. I'm sure you know maybe your listeners are familiar with groups like IndexCoop Um, indexed finance. Um, obviously they're the more tradified players like Bitwise or Grayscale. Um, in our case, you know, we thought it was really important to be able to, you know, offer a single product that gave you total market exposure. And so, you know, that comes with a set of tactical challenges around, you know, how do you support assets that, you know, live across a number of different, you know, layer one blockchains? And, you know, historically speaking, some of those other products have been able to, you know, easily bundle products that are, you know, compatible with Ethereum. But if you want exposure to, you know, L1s beyond that and, you know, many other ecosystems beyond that, how do you do that? And so, you know, we went on this, you know, pretty long journey trying to figure out how to do it. You know, obviously, you know, maybe an easy way to do this would be, you know, synthetically. There's a product in the market called TCAP that does a reasonably good job of this, you know, through a CDP-like mechanism. And, you know, the challenge with that is, you know, we thought it was really important to make sure that prices are continually, you know, pegged to the underlying asset values. And, you know, in those kinds of cases, you know, they can swing pretty dramatically. A lot of it, you know, is held up based on, you know, whether there's mint demand to, you know, lock up positions like that. And so in our case, we felt like, you know, the only way to ultimately, you know, achieve all those goals is to have everything, you know, 100% fully collateralized and backed one-to-one by all those underlying assets. And so, you know, structurally decided to, you know, structure it a bit like, you know, kind of a wrapped asset approach where, you know, all those underlying assets, you know, there is a trust assumption it being, you know, held with a custodian and in this case, you know, Coinbase custody and an ERC-20 token is then minted that can then be, you know, redeemed for all those underlying components. And we felt like, you know, that was the path to keeping prices pegged correctly, to making sure that, you know, everything was continually fully collateralized and ultimately the best product despite some of those trade-offs. But, you know, definitely, uh, you know, it took us a while to get there. And, and I think that, you know, we had to be pragmatic around accepting some of those trade-offs. I think, you know, with time. The goal is certainly to build a, a product that's you know, 100% decentralized. Um, but I think you know, those are probably the biggest challenges in just figuring out, you know, in order to stay true to this total market philosophy, how to ultimately do that, given some of the limitations around you know, just infrastructure available to us on chain.
1: Yeah, super interesting. Okay, so what were some of your earliest insights that helped you identify the right methodology for creating the AMKT index in terms of token composition?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that um, I think the biggest thing is that we you know don't have any unique insights with respect to which underlying assets uh, you know are ultimately going to you know, move a certain direction. I think that's really kind of the whole game is that we want to be as close as possible to just a mirror to the market. And funnily enough, there's there's actually a great study I could send you. Uh, it was done by an economist out of uh, Columbia that basically looked at discretion and its role in you know index methodology. And he basically looked at the S&P and how they decide to include assets and notice that, you know, a good chunk of those were added discretionarily. And, you know, that subset that ultimately was added with any amount of discretion, you know, underperforms the set that's just purely rules-based. And so, you know, as we thought about designing the methodology for this, we felt like the the structure that made the most sense is the one that's as hands-off as possible. You know, I personally have, you know, individual opinions about, you know, specific assets, all of which of course are pretty loosely held. But, you know, we didn't think that it made any sense for us or, you know, the Dow to kind of tilt our hand on the scales with respect to, you know, which assets ultimately should, you know, play a role here. The goal really is just to, you know, mirror the entire market uh, as closely as possible. And I think, you know, really with time, like I'll talk against my own book here for a moment. You know, I think on a five to 10 year time horizon, the idea of a total market product for crypto assets won't make sense. um, And that might sound a bit counterintuitive. But you know, kind of our thinking is that you know we're going to see this migration of all kinds of other asset classes eventually live on chain. And at the end of the day, you know these are just the rails that everything will run on. Um, you know, I liken it almost to like if we had a, a you know product now that was like an internet index based on anybody that had a website, right? That wouldn't make any sense. And so I think with time, you know, that's going to evolve quite a bit. Um, you know, as it stands now, we just want to give people as you know clean an exposure to you know the category itself as we possibly can. And don't want to, you know, tilt their hand on the scales with respect to which assets are ultimately included.
1: Yeah, super interesting. So kind of on that last point, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see institutions make or, uh, you know, maybe some of the wrong ways they're thinking about things when they're thinking about broadening their exposure to digital assets in Web3? Yeah,
0: absolutely. So, you know, there are a couple of things I think are, are pretty pervasive myths, um, you know, at least among kind of the institutional investment community. One is that you know, none of these assets actually are backed by anything or that you know, there are no cash flows. Like, like I always point to one of my favorite sites you might be familiar with, Token Terminal, that looks at you know, actual protocol fees being generated by a number of these different protocols. And you know, one of the things that I find most interesting is that you know, in many cases, you know, they're generating you know, serious money in any given day, but there is no path for any of those you know, assets to go like, list on the New York Stock Exchange. And in my opinion, like there's this parallel economy forming that exists on chain that's global in nature that can produce, you know, fees that are akin to, you know, a company that'd be in a position to go public. So you know, I'd look at things like, um, you know, Uniswap tokens, you know, in any given day it does as much volume as Coinbase, it spits off plenty of fees, um, obviously, as it, as it stands now, you know, just in the supply side for you know, people actually providing liquidity there. But you know, there's this ongoing, uh, you know, governance proposal around, you know, implementing a fee switch. You know, a lot of ways I think these assets parallel, you know, any other assets, and they're backed by cash flows the same way that lots of others do. And I think a lot of institutions don't look at it that way. They look at it like you know, purely through the prism of that kind of digital gold thesis, um, or they think everything is is still. I think you know, one misnomer um, that the whole space has made is you know, calling things cryptocurrencies. I think you know, one mistake a lot a lot of people I think make is that you know, they define everything as a cryptocurrency. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think a subset. The protocols are trying to be currencies and, and many others are, are totally not um and then as far as you know how i've seen you know kind of others make mistakes with respect to allocating i mean i think the biggest is just that many of the vehicles that exist for you know total market or you know thematic or even you know single asset exposure in the category are done through these wrappers that can't uh, ultimately support continuous creation redemption so what does that mean well you know you can't end up uh, having price reflective of the net asset value, um, you know, when there aren't really market forces to press that, uh, you know, in the right place. And so what ends up happening is, you know, you look at things like the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, when, you know, markets are, for lack of a better way, putting it pumping, um, you know, those will trade at a big premium because, you know, it's difficult to create new supply or you can't. Um, and you know, you have the opposite problem when, you know, people need liquidity and markets are moving in the opposite direction. And so you look at those products today and someone will trade it, you know, 50% discount to net asset value. So, you know, their mechanism for getting exposure to the category is through a very imperfect wrapper. That's not necessarily reflective of spot exposure of the underlying asset. Um, other versions of this exist where they're just like handful of, you know, blockchain equities. So you end up with a basket of, you know, basically the, you know, Better end of the spectrum, equities like Coinbase, on the other end, like you know, crypto mining stocks with you know huge amounts of leverage. so you know, I don't view that those as particularly good paths to getting you know exposure to the category either. And I think you know, because of their availability and just familiarity as far as structure for many of those institutions, you know, they've chosen to go that route. And you know, I tend to think and you know, I'm very excited about the prospect of you know more RIAs, more you know, larger institutions. Getting access to you know tools that make it easy for them to custody assets like this, or you know have client assets allocated to to uh, you know products in crypto, and you know I think despite the the bear market over the course of the last several months, you know it's been really encouraging to see a number of those institutions kind of continue to uh, you know double down. Obviously, you have you know things like the partnership that BlackRock put together to integrate Aladdin with Coinbase. You've got Fidelity continuing to make moves in the space, so I think that's all you know really encouraging and with time, I think a lot of those kinks will get worked out.
1: Love it. Yeah. Okay. So Austin, what stood out as most surprising in your work building alongside thus far?
0: Uh, I mean, I would say that, you know, zoom out a little bit. I think, you know, I spent about a decade, you know, kind of working in, in tech before, you know, ultimately, you know, starting alongside. And, and I think, you know, at least for a very long time, I felt like, uh, you know, it was a, a very difficult feat to start a company and get going. And I think, you know, one thing that has certainly been positive, it just feels like, when you make the choice to go and do that, uh, counterintuitively, the, the world tends to conspire in your favor. And so I think I've just gotten really, really lucky with respect to the people that we've been able to attract to come work on this with us. And I never in a million years would have, would have assumed that we'd be able to bring together this kind of talent. Um, and, and I think you know that's probably the biggest surprise is you know despite the last year being you know, super challenging on, on kind of a macro basis for the whole category... The amount of talent that continues to flow into it, um, you know, only seems like it's compounding. And I think that's probably one of my bigger surprises is just the extent to which we've been able to bring together just unbelievably talented people from all kinds of walks of life to be able to come work on this. And I think that, you know, in light of the last several months being a bit ugly, at least for markets, I think the one thing that makes me incredibly optimistic is that, you know, that talent continues to, I think, uh, you know, flow into the space.
1: Yeah, love it. Okay. So Alongside's got a really solid community on Discord. And so one of the things I'm curious about is what are these conversations like with your community and what are they most excited about as part of the Alongside journey themselves?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say that you know, some view it as a bit refreshing that, you know, like I'll give you an example. When you open up our Discord, there's a message for me there that basically articulates that, you know, if you come to the Discord for alpha, the truth is that our product is literally designed to give you market beta. And so, you know, one of the things I think is is different relative to some other communities that have sprouted up is like, nobody's trying to show you anything. I joke that, you know, like one thing that's very much not allowed in our community is like, you know, someone trying to pitch you their, you know, options trading course um, or or whatever, whatever it may be. And so I I think that to some extent it's a bit of a, you know, uh, you know, separate community from what's, you know, traditionally existed on crypto Twitter or in other kinds of forums and Telegram chats, wherever that may be. And, you know, we're very much not, uh, you know, shillers, for lack of a better way of putting it. We're, you know, directionally excited about the growth of the entire category. That makes us a lot less tribal. I think that's one thing that's also pretty pervasive in crypto is, is a sense of tribalism around, you know, maybe your preferred layer one or, you know, application layer asset, whatever it may be. And in our case, you know, our community is there just to kind of support the growth of the whole category. And, you know, we have a pretty clearly defined enemy, for lack of a better way of putting it, in the types of people that maybe are, you know, shilling you, uh, you know, some short-term trade. So, you know, there's a long-termism that I think that, you know, we certainly want to foster. I think the other thing that's at least been surprising with respect to our community is how global in nature it's become. I'll be honest with you, I did not expect that at all. Um, We now have, you know, 10 different languages and forums supported in our Discord, which I, I never in a million years would have thought would be the case. I think that's been... A challenge for us to, uh, you know, make sure that we can communicate with such a global audience. But I think the reason that people are drawn to it is that, you know, really, we're not shilling anything. We're evangelists for the whole category. Um, And, you know, I I tend to think that, uh, you know, people find that a bit refreshing. But we've got plenty of work to do.
1: Yeah. Okay. So how are you guys thinking about the evolution of Alongside over the next couple years, say? Let's say we just anchor it like two years. Uh, What's on the roadmap? What are you guys excited about? What directions are you most... Most curious about anything in that direction?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that, you know, initially we want to stay super focused on, you know, products that just give you total market exposure. I think that, you know, the market itself, I don't consider to be super mature in the sense that, you know, you can slice and dice all kinds of different thematic products where, you know, there's enough density of assets where that kind of diversification makes sense. But I think over a long enough time horizon, you know, the ability to, you know, break things down into specific themes to get directional exposure to things like DeFi as a category, I think, make a lot of sense. So on, say, a two-year time horizon, I think, you know, those are some of the things that we'll be looking at. But in a lot of ways, you know, I look at equity markets as kind of the perfect proxy for, you know, where we should be focused. And if you look at the products that ultimately have captured the most value and saved, you know, investors the most money and, you know, been the best vehicles for people to get exposure to equity markets... It's those products that give you broad-based exposure. And so I think that we want to stay pretty committed to that. I will say, and this is you know probably further out than than two years, you know, I had hinted at this before. I tend to think that on a long enough arc, you know, these products look very different in that you'll have all kinds of other assets live on chain in some way, shape, or form. And our goal is really to build a great foundation to go build products that ultimately can support that. So you can have, you know, a mix of things like equities living on chain and real estate and alternative assets and you know crypto native assets. I think that's where, you know, if you zoom out maybe further than the two years, we'll want to remain focused. Um, I'm super excited about efforts to, to do that that we're seeing today. Um, but, you know, on a long enough arc, I think, you know, that's where, where things are likely to be and, you know, won't necessarily just be, you know, exposure to things that are, you know, carved out entirely in the crypto economy. I think what the crypto economy looks like, you know, a few years from now really is going to encompass a lot more asset classes going on chain. I mean, you know, before this, and, you know, you all operate a venture fund, like, company, you know, in our portfolio would go public public, we be dealing with a transfer agent for days. And you know, people uh even at a retail level experience some of the perils of things like T plus two settlement uh and you know the settlement times that, that tend to exist in equity markets. Feels to me like there's almost an inevitability to, you know, certainly when we when you know blockchains can support that kind of throughput, you know, equities and you no know, other asset classes living on chain. And that's the thing I think you know we're super excited about in a really long time horizon.
1: Yeah, love it. Okay, so can you talk a little bit about your recent fundraise announcement? Where I'm curious specifically, like what was that like conducting a raise during the sort of bear market we've seen, and how did you guys think about going about it at this particular in this particular macro environment?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll peel the curtains back on this a little bit. I mean, not all of it was done. You know, over the course of the last couple of months, uh, a good chunk of it was raised. You know, not quite a year ago, but we decided to announce it. You know, shortly after we shipped our product, we thought you know that was the thing that made the most sense. And, you know, I, I cared a lot less about, you know, the vanity of a fundraising announcement and a lot more about, you know, that translating to eyes on our product. So, you know, rolled uh, a couple of fundraisers into one. Um, but, you know, it was interesting. Uh, obviously, that the first piece was done during the halcyon days of the bull market. So I got a very different experience. Um, and then, you know, when we brought in Wagme and a number of other incredible investors in the more, you know, more recent tranche of that, you know, groups like Franklin Templeton, um, you know, some of our existing investors doubling down as well. Um, it was a very different environment uh, to fundraise mid. and you know I think that crypto was one of those categories where you know in a lower interest rate environment I think there was a big flight uh, you know to get exposure to, and you know easy come easy go it it was uh, you know definitely very different you know when we you know looked to close this up a couple months ago, um, but I think that you know we made a lot of progress over the course of that time and, and that you know ultimately was what was able to solidify things. Yeah, I love it.
1: Okay, Austin, maybe two last questions here. Uh, First question, what's your most generalizable advice for founders building in the Web3 space?
0: Uh, Have access to lawyers. (laughs) That was one uh, I think I wasn't expecting quite as much. You know, we initially, uh, you know, worked with quite a bit of outside counsel when we first got started. And, you know, truthfully, I think there are a lot of gray areas in this category. And, you know, you want that, that sort of support and advice. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, way of saying basically, you know, there are a lot of things that I don't know that, uh, I think are areas of expertise that, you know, we certainly felt like we needed to have really early on. So, you know, I wasn't in a million years expecting to bring on, you know, a full-time general counsel as was one of our first hires. Turns out, I think that was a great move. And I think it's pretty counterintuitive and, you know, not something I think most founders would consider, but at the end of the day, um, you know, we have a, a super committed person that's, you know, kind of, kind of has our back looking out through all this and, you know, it's actually made it easier for us with respect to, you know, not having to rely as much on outside counsel. And so that was one piece of advice I think that's more unique to crypto than, you know, having spent you know, quite a bit of time in tech. That was one thing that, you know, I feel like I wish I knew earlier on. I think we could have saved quite a bit of money and time. Um, so that's one thing I think beyond that, uh, you know, crypto is, is 24-7. And, you know, I think a lot of founders have this, uh, you know, propensity to, you know, be pretty all in with things. And, you know, I, I definitely think that, uh, it can be difficult to manage, you know, being up, you know, 24 hours a day, uh, you know, managing a community with different time zones. And I think that, you know, one thing I probably underestimated is, uh, the importance of having at least some amount of rest, um, you know, kind of do as I, I say, not as I do in this regard. Uh, but it, it's something that I feel like has become, uh, you know more ever present for me.
1: Super interesting, yeah. Okay, Austin, what are you guys working on right now and what's the best way for people to follow along on the
0: journey? Yeah, absolutely. So right now, you know, we're working on, you know, kind of leaning into the fact that it, you know, our first product AMKT is, you know, an ERC20 token that you can build all kinds of really interesting products on top of and that you know is composable throughout DeFi. So, you know, look out for us on a number of different DeFi protocols here in the pretty near term. As far as you know, where you could find us, uh, you know, we definitely do have a presence on Twitter. Uh, my co-founder uh, Gautier himself, um, you know, has become quite the, the ship poster, um, and you know, our long uh, site account, uh, you know, also I think uh, does a good job of kind of telling our story. And then, you know, certainly our, our Discord, where our communities come together. I believe we're now at you know just over eight thousand in that, and you know, it's pretty uh, open to people from all over the world, which is which is a lot of fun to see. Um, and then, you know, of course, our, our website that's got, you know, kind of our complete documentation. You know, I encourage everyone to, to dive into that and, you know, poke holes into the way we we structured things, ask questions. Um, you know, everything's pretty accessible there.
1: Love it. Austin, thank you so much for the time. Everyone check out their website, Discord, Twitter. And uh, Austin, thank you so much for coming on. Have a great rest of your week here.
0: Tanner, thanks for having me.